Remain standing just for a moment with me. You said it. How many of you really want more? Come on, throw up your other hand. Now turn that into a prayer and say, Lord, here I am. Lord, I want more. I want more. Uh, look at your neighbor and say, get ready. You can be seated and turn your Bibles with me to 2 Kings chapter 2. Thank you, Pastor Dwayne. Um, so honored to be here. What a great feeling in this house. If, if I lived here in the area, this would be home, without a doubt. I felt it the moment I walked through the door. This is so cool. So honored to be with you. Is it all right if I'm just family today? Awesome. Revival broke out about 22 years ago, um, Father's Day 1995, at a church in Pensacola, Florida. It's a story that I write about in Trail of Fire, the very last story that we tell. We tell 10 stories out of 10 past previous moves of God. But this particular one's special to me because it's the one that saved my life. I don't know about you. Um, I was a stubborn lackadaisical, complacent church kid, rebellious as all get out. I would be at church on a Sunday morning, hands uplifted in the middle of worship, and then Friday night, lakeside, drinking alcohol we just stole from a grocery store. I knew things about God, but I didn't know God. And then I had an encounter with him at an altar. How many of you know what that's like when suddenly the story becomes reality and everything changes? That's called revival, my friend. Revival is you coming alive in him. It's the reason Pentecost was poured out. People ask me all the time, what's revival? Revival is Pentecost. It's when the spirit of God begins to infill. It becomes God inside of man. Blows my mind that he would do that. We're just stubborn earthen vessels of clay, right? But yet he pours a spirit into us anyway. It is an outlandish love. Father's Day, 1995, my mentor, Evangelist Steve Hill, showed up at Brownsville Assembly of God in Pensacola, Florida, unscheduled for a spontaneous service. God had it earmarked. You see, this church had been praying for revival for over a year and a half. Now, God comes suddenly but never unexpectedly, never accidentally. They had prayed for a year and a half. You see, I believe that revival comes as a response. We pray, heaven responds. We seek, heaven responds. We hunger and thirst, heaven responds. And so they had prayed for a year and a half. And so Steve shows up that morning. And you can actually go online and watch that first service. And I'll be honest with you. You won't watch that service and see anything spectacular about the service until the very end. Steve preached a good message. He gave an altar call out of a crowd of 1,800 people. Seven people responded to salvation. Now, out of 1,800, I'm an evangelist. If I have 1,800 people in a church, seven people respond, I'll feel like I failed. Because I'll know there was more that needed to get right with God. Seven people responded. But I'll tell you this morning, my friend, that that was the first seven of over 250,000 that would repent in those altars over the course of five years during that revival. Did you hear that? 250, the first seven. Oh, we despise small beginnings, don't we? We judge things by what we see in just that first initial flicker and flame. But every fire starts with a single spark. The first seven of over 250,000. During the course of that five years of, of revival, we saw a night where there was two ladies that showed up to that move of God that shouldn't have been there. They were models for a pornographic magazine. Pensacola Beach is gorgeous, white sand, turquoise water. I mean, it's pristine, a beautiful place for pictures. And so they had had a photo shoot scheduled, but a storm came in that weekend, canceled their photo shoot, canceled their flights. They were stuck in Pensacola. They get dressed for a night on the town. They call up a taxi, say, take us to the most happening place in Pensacola. Did you figure that out? Taxi cab pulls them up to DeSoto Street, the Brownsville Assembly of God. 
the ladies say, what are we doing here? The guy says, everybody wants to come here. What's going on in there? I have no clue. I just know this is where I take everybody. And so they get out. Now, church had already started that night. The sanctuary completely jam-packed, 2,500 people across the street, another 1,000 people um, in every overflow room. You couldn't put another soul in the place, but two very astute ushers noticed these two ladies that didn't belong, but they did because they weren't dressed for church, if you know what I mean. They stuck out. And as they were coming towards the front doors, the ushers met them and said, we've got seats just for you. Found them two seats right in the very front. That night when the altar call was given and Charity came and she sang, come running to the mercy seat, they didn't have far to go, but those two ladies got up and they fell on the altars. And that night, that magazine lost two models, but the kingdom gained two daughters. Come on, somebody. It's another night that a couple showed up that had been divorced for over a year. They were from Oklahoma, had arrived at Brownsville Assembly of God for the revival, unknowing that the other was there. Didn't know the other even had any intention of being there, but they sat that night in the sanctuary, one on one side, one on the other. No clue the other was there. That night when the altar call was given, they both, both responded. One came down to one side of the altar, one to the other side. That night, a son and a daughter gave their lives back to Jesus, and they knew in that moment they needed to reconcile that relationship. So the next thing they knew they needed to do was to make a phone call. They stand up at the same time. Imagine that moment. They looked across the altar and met eyes with one another. Only God, right? Over 250,000, the first seven of over 250,000 that morning on Father's Day. Steve then asked, just like I asked a moment ago, how many are hungry for more? And out of 1,800 people, 1,000 people came forward. Now, the senior pastor, he was thinking to himself, this is Father's Day. What are you thinking, Steve? We've got 1,000 people to pray for. No, let these people go home. So Steve jumped down, he begins praying for people. He's praying, touch fire more. And they're getting touched by the power of God. Pastor Kilpatrick, the senior pastor of the church, was seeing things happen in his church he had never noticed, never seen before. It was one of those moments where you're like, yeah, he needed that. That wasn't a courtesy drop. Oh, yeah, that was real. (laughs) He steps down into the altar. And he comes down and he notices that something's swirling around his feet. He thinks it's a bit unusual. He thinks the air conditioner is broken because we're always trying to explain away the things of God, aren't we? But he notices it's hard to move as if he's pushing through water. He's starting to stumble a little bit, and then he hears a sound. Think about this Pentecost Sunday. He hears this sound that sounds like wind blowing across a microphone. He looks up to the speaker cluster above his head thinking, my word, now something's wrong with the speakers. But then he realizes there's nothing wrong with the speakers. In his mind's eye, he sees a door open in the back of the church, and this flood, torrent of wind and water just rushes into the church. It hits the stage. It spills down, cascades across the steps of the altar, comes right between his legs like a river, knocks him, nearly knocks him over. An usher comes to their pastor, says, Pastor, can I help you? And he says, help me to the platform. He takes the microphone, and at 1201 Father's Day, 1995, he says this. He says, Church, this is what we've been praying for. Get in. And at that moment... All across the sanctuary, the glory of the Lord was poured out. He said from his vantage point, it looked like whole swaths of people were getting just knocked down by just the power of the Lord as he just began to pour out his spirit. The young people, the children from Kids Church, they came into the sanctuary. The moment they came through the doors, they began weeping. Nobody wanted to leave that service. Six o'clock that night, everybody was still there. Sunday morning service just spilled into the Sunday night service. 
And they just kept adding service after service for five years. Over four million people visited that move of God in Pensacola, Florida. It touched the world. I speak to you today as a son of that revival, somebody who was transformed and changed because of the fires poured out in that altar. How many are hungry for more? How many are hungry for more? We tell that story along with 10 in the book, Trail of Fire, which is available there, and I thought that was great. You come tonight, $15, you get the book, $5, you get me. I'm on a discount. <laughs> are you with me in 2 Kings? 2 Kings chapter 2. This is Pentecost Sunday. As you're turning over to 2 Kings chapter 2, also one of the books that I have back there, Receptivity. Both these books came out in the last year. Receptivity is about tuning into the, the voice of God. How many by the showing of your hands will say, I wish I could hear God's voice better? You need to get this book. God's always speaking. People wonder, why is God not speaking? God's always speaking. He's never silent. Never silent. People say, what about the times that I'm subjected to his silence? No, he was forsaken on the cross so that you and I would never be forsaken. When he spoke in the beginning, he said, let there be light. Light went forth. Tell me when the light ever was extinguished. Is the light not the word? He's always speaking. We're just not always listening. And so that book is about positioning yourself into that place to be able to hear his voice. Amen? Ah, my wife and I, we sold everything that we had at the beginning of this year. We started in South Carolina. In fact, they have a map I think they can throw up on the screen real quick of kind of like what we've done already this year. Um, we started in South Carolina, and that's been our trail so far. <laughs> How many of that just gives you fright right there <laughs> in that moment? We sold everything that we had, and we moved our family of five into a motorhome. And people say, why would you do that? Well, we've been visiting some of the old wells across the nation of Revival. They've got another picture, I think, of some of the old wells that we've been telling, some of the stories of that you can go to next. It puts that overlay. Stories about what took place in South Carolina, an old rock altar that's been sitting for 80 years out in the middle of the woods. Powerful story. Pensacola, Florida, the story I just told you. Billy Sunday in Shreveport. Um, over 300,000 people saved over the course of seven weeks. It changed the city. Uh, Mariah Woodworth Edder in Dallas, Texas, Azusa Street, come on somebody, John G. Lake from just, hello, just, uh, just right across the state over in Spokane, over 100,000 people healed over the course of five years. We've been visiting some of these old wells and sharing the story on the site, Trail of Fire, along with Charisma. And people say, why would you do that? Because I think there's great significance in looking back at what God did, but it's not about what, he's, what he did, it's about what he's doing alongside of that. Throw that other picture up. We've also been trying to answer the question of what God's been doing across the land and so we've been shouting the story about what's happening from church to church and all the wonderful places we've been able to visit. Can't wait to share the story of what's happening here in this house as well. And so if you want to find out more, you can put that next picture up, just our family. Um, there's our, there we are. Aren't we cute? Yeah. Everything I own is in that motorhome right there. We sold everything we have. And uh, we've spent this year and spending this entire year living there as we just travel the nation on this trail of fire. And so if you want to find out more about that, that's trailoffire.org. All right. Did I do that fast enough, baby? That was good, right? Second Kings chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now when the Lord was about to take Elijah up to heaven in a whirlwind, Elijah and Elisha were on their way from a place called, say it with me, Gilgal. And Elijah said to Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to Bethel. But Elisha said, as sure as the Lord lives and you yourself live, I will not leave you. So they went down to Bethel. The sons of the prophets, say the sons of the prophets. 
How many love the prophets? The sons of the prophets were there, and they came out to Elisha and said, Do you know that today the Lord will take your master from over you? And he said, Yes, I know it. Keep quiet. Elijah said to him, Elisha, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me to Jericho. But he said, as surely as you live and the Lord lives, I will not leave you. And so they came to Jericho, the sons of the prophets who were at Jericho. They drew near to Elisha, and they said, do you know that today's the day the Lord will take your master from over you? And he answered, yes, I know it. So what? Be quiet. Verse 6, then Elijah said to him, please stay here, for the Lord has sent me on to the Jordan. But he said, as the Lord lives and you live, I will not leave you. And so the two of them went on. Fifty men, the sons of the prophets, also went, and they stood at a distance from them as they both went standing by the Jordan. Then Elijah took his cloak, he rolled it up, he struck the water. The water was parted, one to one side, one to the other. The two of them went over on dry ground. Verse 9, when they had crossed, Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what shall I do for you before I'm taken from you? And Elisha says, Please, let there be a, say it with me. He's saying, I want more. Let there be a double portion of your spirit on me. And Elijah said, you have asked a. Say that again. Pray with me. Lord, we come this morning into this wonderful house in your presence, and we ask a hard thing of you this morning. Oh, I feel that. Lord, here on this Pentecost Sunday, we've come to ask a hard thing. Lord, would you pour out your spirit immeasurable upon us? Lord, we came this morning and we are hungry for more. Pray this with me. Say, Jesus, speak to my heart. Change my life in your precious name. Amen. As Elijah and Elisha talked just a little bit and they walked, a chariot of fire came and separated the two of them. And then suddenly, Elijah's called up to heaven. He ascends. Say, he ascends. He ascends up to heaven, the first ascension directly mentioned in Scripture. He ascends up to heaven, and as he goes up, something comes down. He goes up, and his mantle that he was wearing comes down, and Elisha walks over to that mantle. He picks it up. He walks back to the Jordan. He rolls it up, and he strikes the water, and he says, Where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? The great revivalist Leonard Ravenhill, speaking of this very passage, he said to that question, You and I already know the answer. To where the God of Elijah is at. He's where he's always been on the throne. Come on, you and I can rest upon that word, knowing that no matter what happens here on earth, he is God eternal, the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end. He will always reign supreme. He has always been on the throne. No matter how much this world may be shaken, his world is not. You and I can rest. We know where our God is at. He's seated high and lifted up. Ravenhill asks an even more probing question of that. He says, since then we know where the God of Elijah is at. Where then are the Elijahs of God? Where are the men, the women that are willing to position themselves between a nation and God and become his voice to a people? Where are the prophets? Where are the righteous men, the women of God, the preachers of, of righteousness in the land? Because I tell you, my friend, America is in desperate need desperate need of such people. The Bible says that Elijah was a man of like passions as you and I are. In other words, there's nothing about Elijah that separates him from us, but yet we're not anything like him. You see, he was a man of passionate prayer, a man who could call down fire from heaven at a single word, a man who could shut up the heavens and there would be no rain just at the prophetic word. 
And I would say today to you and I that we would know where many of the Elijahs are at to answer that question of Ravenhill. They're the men, the women of God who brought the message to you. Come on, not a single one of us arrived here by accident. There is somebody in your life that brought you the gospel. It may have been a mom, a dad. It may have been a pastor, a preacher, an evangelist. But somebody you owe a great debt to, don't you? You see, this is personal to me because I can tell you who one of my Elijahs was. It was evangelist Steve Hill. What a tremendous man of God. And we watched him go home to heaven in 2014. That was a sad day, but at the same time, on that day, there's so many prophetic words that I begin seeing across the nation as people saying mantles are falling across the land, and God's looking for those that are willing to pick them up. Ravenhill asked, where are the Elijahs? Let me ask you a question this morning. Where are the Elishas? Where are the sons, the daughters of great men and women of God willing to pick up the mantles that have fallen, to pick up the mantles and ask a hard, difficult thing of the Lord and say, Lord, here I am. Use me in this day. You feel that? Do I have some people here this morning that say, Lord, I just want to be used by you. I want more. I feel something beginning to burn in this place already. We pick up the story, Elijah and Elisha, in a place called Gilgal. Say Gilgal. A place called Gilgal. And Elijah looks at Elisha and says, Son, the Lord's called me on to Bethel. Stay here. And the moment I say Gilgal, if you, if you have any Jewish roots, you would immediately recognize that name. First, you would mock me because I butchered the pronunciation of it. But I'm from Dallas, so get over it. Gilgal. So what's special about Gilgal? Well, you see the Israelites, after wandering around in the desert for 40 years with this promise in front of them that one day you're going to step over into a land flowing of milk and honey. One day you're going to step over into the promise, the land given to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. One day you're going to inherit your promise. Well, that day came with Joshua. They crossed over the Jordan, and they put their foot onto the promised land for the very first time. And on that day, that ground was called Gilgal. That day the Lord said, I'm renewing my covenant with you. I'm rolling off of you the reproach of Egypt. For you and I, we can liken that to that moment that you stepped out of darkness and into his wonderful, marvelous light. Come on, it's that moment where you could say, behold, all things became brand new. I'm no longer the person I used to be. I've had an encounter with my Savior. I've had an encounter with the cross. And the old things are gone and the brand new has come. There's something brand new all my life. If you've experienced that, say amen. That's our Gilgal. Elijah looks at Elisha and says, son, stay here at Gilgal. And why not? So many people do, don't they? Don't they? They just just say, hey, I heard about that place called hell, and I'm really not interested in that. Tell me, preacher, what must I do to be saved? Because I really don't want to burn. What what do I need to do to escape those fires? I love when people ask me that question because my answer is always the same. I say, it's really simple. All you have to do is die. What? Can I say a prayer, fill out a card somewhere? Can I, like, you know, how many times do I need to attend at church? Oh, listen, they're not checking those things when you get to heaven. All they want to know is have you been washed by the blood of the Lamb? Have you ended your life so that life of Christ can live in you and through you? You see, that's the entrance. Listen, he didn't pull you from the fire to save you from the fire. No, he pulled you from the fire because he said, I've got a different fire for you to burn with. And today, all across this nation, we've got far too many people that all they want to do is cling to the old rugged cross without realizing there's a road after the cross. 
There's a place, Mike, don't you feel that? There's a place you and I are called to go. There's a reason why he saved you. It's not that I pulled you from it, but I'm calling you to something greater. Elisha was always a pursuer. And he says, I'm not content to stay here in Gilgal. And so they come to Bethel. Say Bethel. Do you know what Bethel means? I heard it. The house of God. Come on, look around you, my friend. Where are we at today? We're in Bethel, the house of God. Isn't it good? I heard pastors say it. It's good to be able to come. There's something about the corporate gathering. We come into the house of God. We are encouraged by the word of the Lord. We experience his prayer. You can't get that anywhere else. That's why I love, that's why I was glad this morning when I woke up. I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord because I was excited to celebrate with my family. They get to Bethel and the prophets are there. Can't you see the prophets coming out? Long robes, big, big, long beards and spooky voices. You ever get around those people that when they talk for God, their voice changes? Listen, I'm from the South. <laughs> something, something comes up. It's like they get possessed. I can see it now. The prophets come out. Eli- it's, good to, it's good to see you, Elisha. Got a word from the Lord. <laughs> Did you know? Today's the day. Ha! So you got to get that church of God in there. You know what I'm talking about? Ha! Today is the day, ha, that the Lord, ha, is going to take your master, ha, out from over you. And I love Elisha's response. What does he say? Yeah, I know. So, shh. We got a word from the Lord. Yeah, got the same word. It's good to come to Bethel, isn't it? It's good to be in the house. The prophets are there. They're prophesying an accurate word. Elijah looks at Elisha and says, son, stay here at Bethel. The Lord's called me on to Jericho. Elisha says, I'm not staying here. I got a word. And though I may be around some people that got the same word, they're content to stay inside the four walls with that word. I'm going to do something with it. Oh, come on. You know what I'm talking. We love to come into the house of the Lord and splash our gifts on one another, and we'll have a hallelujah, shout down, glory time. And boy, we'll just get our church on. And then we walk out those doors, and then suddenly it's like this didn't exist, and we step back into the world. No, that world is dying to get a little of this on them, and they need somebody to get a word from here, walk out those doors, and carry that to them. Like Moses going to the mountaintop and getting glory on his face, what did he do? He came back down into the valley to walk with the people for 40 years. I love the mountaintop experiences. Not everybody's going to go, but they need somebody who went to carry something down to them. Come on, somebody. Yeah, you get that? Elisha said, I'm not staying here. I've got the same word. I'm going to do something with it. So while you're content to just celebrate the gift inside the house, I'm going to do something with that. Because when God spoke, he wasn't just speaking. He was giving me information so that I could do something with it. They get to Jericho. When they get to Jericho, again, the prophets come back out. I love this. I can see them. Oh. Did you know that today is the day the Lord's going to take your master out from? Over. You see it? Over you. Over you. Do you see the condescension in that? Do you see that? Elisha, you're just Elijah's servant boy. We're the men of God. You know what strikes me is that Jericho was even a place that could be visited. 
Because if you know your Bible, you know that the day that that battle was fought when Joshua and the Israelites, they come over into the promised land. The first battle they have to fight is Jericho. And they watch miraculously as they march around that city seven times, one time a day for seven days. On the seventh day, they march around seven times. On the seventh time, they shout, they, they, they blow the trumpets. And what happens? The walls come down. Come on, you and I can liken that in our life to that moment, that that thing that once stood opposed to you. Maybe it was like I was addicted to drugs or alcohol or I had a pornography problem. I was bound by depression. I was possessed by, by, by demons. There was something that was opposed to me, but at the sound of his great name, there wasn't 12 steps, there was one step. I said his name and those walls miraculously came down. Have you experienced that moment in your life when you saw something that once stood opposed to you miraculously was just brought down? On that day, Joshua cursed the city. And he said, cursed be the men that would build this city. He said, he will do so at the cost of his oldest and his youngest son. And in the reign of Ahab and Jezebel, that wicked witch, they commissioned a man named Hiel to rebuild Jericho, and the Bible says that whenever he laid the foundation of the city, it cost him a son. When he hung the gates of the city to finish it, it cost him another son. In other words, there's a price to be paid when you decide to rebuild the old bondages of the past. It will cost you the future generation. Come on, we can all liken this because we've watched it. There's some people, you had some really heavy, heavy bondages and addictions in your past, and then suddenly you step over into Christian liberty, and you're like, that thing used to be a problem and a vice for me, but now I've got liberty. And let me figure out how much sin I'm comfortable with in my life because all things, though I know they're not all beneficial, you know, but all things are all lawful, you know, blah, 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 and we get into those debates, don't we? You know what we need to recognize? That there's a cost to the future generation. I showed you a picture of my family. You want to know why? Because I want you to know what I'm fighting for. There's a lot of things that I could do that I will not do. You want to know why? Because I'm fighting for them, and I refuse to rebuild the old bondages that once held me captive in the past because I don't want that to become a vice to a future generation. They get to Jericho. The prophets come out. Today's the day the Lord's taking the master out from over you. We got a word from the Lord, Elisha. We need an armor bearer. Why don't you come serve us for a while? Why don't you come serve us? You're just, you're just Elijah's servant boy. You're just the man who carries that old man's bag. You're just the one who pours water over his hands. Elijah looks at Elisha and says, Son, stay here. The Lord sent me on the Jordan. Boy, Elisha didn't have to bat an eye on this one. He's like, I ain't staying here. <laughs> this God-forsaken place, nah. No, I'm, I'm moving on from this place. And so he follows, they leave Jericho and they come out to the wilderness. When they get to the Jordan, Elijah takes off his cloak, his mantle, and he rolls it up and he strikes the water. And the water parts to the left and the right and they come out into the wilderness. And then Elijah looks at his son and says, son, what can I do for you? Elisha says, I've been waiting for you to ask. I want a double portion. What's on your life? I want a double portion. What was Elisha asking for? I've heard this message preached so many times. Oftentimes, he's asking for twice the anointing. How can you have twice of God? God is immeasurable. He's indescri- How do you ask for twice of what can't be measured? Double the People come up and say, I want, I want double the anointing on your life. I'm like, why did you stop at Double. Leonard Ravenhill, great revivalist, spiritual grandfather of mine, he, 
He said this. He says, people always come asking for my anointing. They never come asking for my prayer life. Never asking for my afflictions. As if those two things are mutually exclusive. No, no. Elisha, what's he saying? See, if you understand Hebrew birthright, then a moment that you hear the word double portion, your mind would click and you'd say, no, I know exactly what he's asking for. He's asking for the right of the firstborn. Hello. Elijah's raised up sons all over the place. They had visited many of them this day. The right of the firstborn. You see, in, in Hebrew culture, the whenever the father was ready to leave this world and pass on to the other side, what would happen is that he would take all of his possessions and he'd divide them equally amongst every single one of his sons, but the firstborn son would get a double portion of the inheritance. Why? Because this would be the son that would carry on the family name. This would be the one, resp- I feel this, this would be the one responsible for continuing on in the footsteps of the Father, the one everybody else is going to look to, the one that's carrying the Father's authority. Hello. They get all the way to the other side. Elijah says, what can I do for your son? Elisha says, someone's got to carry on for you. You're leaving today. I got that word. Somebody's got to carry on in your footsteps. Someone's got to go from this place and carry on the the family name. And I want to be that man. In fact, I've noticed that there are so many today that we're all sons. We all got the same word, but I notice none of them are here. I've come all the way here. I want to be that man. I want that double portion. And Elijah says, you've asked a, a hard thing. What was so hard about it? Was he saying, I don't know whether or not this is yours. Oh, and that's impossible because Elijah had already gotten the word when he'd gone up on the mountain of God. In 1 Kings chapter 19, the Lord says, leave this place and go anoint Elisha, prophet, in your place. But here was the problem. Elisha comes down off the mountain. He takes his cloak off of himself and finds Elisha plowing in a field. Listen, Elisha was just a dedicated man who was okay doing his job. Come on, anyone ever work a nine to five? Just waiting to get to the end of the day to make one more paycheck so you can make one more payment. Just the routine, the monotony of just getting, just getting it done. This is Elisha. And then all of a sudden, Elijah comes by, takes his cloak off of himself, throws it onto Elisha and starts to walk away. And then all of a sudden, I believe that Elisha got a different picture of a whole nother destination. The moment that cloak touched him, he began to realize, my God, I was meant for more than just simply digging a ditch. I was meant for more than just plowing this field. There's more. That, there, there's more. Somebody say there's more. He said that day there's more, and he made up his mind, I'm going to pursue that. He calls out to Elijah and says, wait up. Elijah turns around and says, what have I done to you? In other words, I just put something on you that you were not prepared for yet. And so he spends the next several years with Elisha, and Elisha at his side. And he's learning. You see, he was the right man, but had not yet become the right man. He was always a pursuer. And here we come to the day of transition. I want you to get this. I feel this. And they start in Gilgal. And I can hear Elijah saying to Elisha, the reason why I tried to leave you in Gilgal is because I wanted you to make up your mind and count the cost. Do you really want this thing on your life? I tried to leave you in a place of comfort, but you were a pursuer and you said no and you came all the way. 
And then we came to Bethel, and it would have been a great place for you to remain, a very safe place. You could have been very happy just to remain there in Bethel, but you were a pursuer. But I knew you were going to ask a hard thing of me, but you had to count the cost. I couldn't just give it to you like I tried to before. You needed to make up your mind that you really wanted this thing. But you came with me all the way to Jericho, and you wouldn't even remain in Jericho. Your last opportunity to bail, and you followed me all the way out here. Do you know what it is to carry this thing, this hard thing? A heart for a nation. To carry the word of the Lord and the presence of God on your life. Listen, my friend, it's a difficult thing to carry this burden for revival in the land. There's a cost to it. It's not convenient. Our agendas fall to the wayside. Our plans, our calendars, they're no longer consequential anymore. The only thing that matters is him. It's costly. Come on, the one thing will always cost you everything. He says, you follow me all the way out to here. If you're with me till the very end, then it's yours. As they walk just a little bit further, the chariot comes and divides the two of them. Elijah goes up, he ascends. And as he ascends, something descends. He goes up and that mantle comes down. And I'm so thankful there was somebody there to walk over to pick it up. He picks it up and he divides, he tears off his own clothing. In other words, I'm not coming back to that, no plan B. And he takes up that mantle and he rolls it up and he says, where now is the Lord, the God of Elijah? And when he strikes the water, it divides to the left and the right. And the 50 prophets that were watching from afar say, my God, the spirit that rested on Elijah now rests on Elisha. We didn't see that coming. (laughs) We didn't realize that was going to take place. Come on, who's hungry for more? Who's ready this morning to ask a difficult thing of the Lord? You want more on your life. If that's you, stand up to your feet and lift up both hands right now. Come on. Come on, I already know what kind of house I'm in. I don't have to tell you how to pray. Just lift up those hands right now and just begin to pray in the Spirit. Come on, it's Pentecost Sunday. Lord, we are here, a bunch of hungry, desperate, dry, and thirsty people. Lord, in our cry and our prayer to you, Lord, is we want more. Come on, don't let me do all your praying for you. Maybe you need to head back to Gilgal. Huh? Huh? Listen, if you're comfortable in Bethel, sit down. But if your heart burns for more, then lift up your voice for a moment and say, Lord, I want more. I came this morning to ask the hard thing of you, Lord. Wow, I feel that. Lord, I'm so thankful that here in just a few moments you're going to pour out your spirit afresh and anew. Lord, you're going to feel every dry and barren place, Lord, as you mark us this morning. My God. Wow. Wow. Look this way.
pastor's asked to take just a few moments right here and then we're going to move into an altar time. Is that all right? Listen, I told you, the first ascension directly mentioned in Scripture is the ascension of Elijah. One man goes up and one mantle comes down. It was just a type and a shadow of a second ascension that would come where one man would go up. But on that day, we'll talk about that in a second. Thank you, Lord. You may be seated. Hallelujah. You enjoying this? You okay? So I told him I wanted to interrupt him and just allow you to give in to them when he asked the ushers to come quickly and just, uh, we want to shoot envelopes down every row probably, so uh, we'll need a bunch of those. Take an envelope and let it go through. Um, they've gone out on a big limb. How many of you know trees don't bear fruit hugging the trunk? Trees only bear fruit out on the limb. How many of you know that? And so uh, we're honored, though, that they said yes. That when the Holy Spirit put this on their heart, that they would be used of God to run around the nation uh, in an RV, sell their home, and uh, be a part of igniting fires, looking for places where there's where there's desire for fire, that they, that they said yes. And we want to be a part of that. And this is, many of you know, this is how the church works, is that, that those who share the word with us, those who ignite fire within us, we're glad out of 1 Corinthians 9, Galatians chapter 6, we're glad to share our material increase with them and say we want to be a part of blessing that we want to be a part of supporting that we want to be a part of adding strength to that amen so i'm going to ask you just to do something you can use your credit card your debit card you can use cash whatever it is then we're going to just turn the service back over to daniel and let him lead us in response amen father thank you so much stirring us up Lord we don't want to be cold to you we don't want to be barren we don't want to be without a fresh oil within we we don't want to be distanced from you we don't want to live separated from you Holy Spirit we want the zeal of the Lord to be quickened within us, Lord. So we just posture our hearts even more so this morning. Posture our hearts. Posture our hearts to say yes to you and all that you have. We just shout and declare your blessing on Daniel, on Jenna, on the family, on that RV as it travels, on the message, the word, on the prayers, on what you've spoken over them and birthed in them. We ask that you will light that same fire in us. We just acknowledge it's not an accident that they're here. It's not an accident that you've drawn them here, that 
that this is one of those places. We want to be a burning place for you, a burning people. And we say yes to you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers are going to come and just pass the buckets. Daniel, come on back up. Take us where the Holy Spirit is leading us. Amen. Did exactly as you asked. Down to the last minute. I mean, you want that double portion, that right of the firstborn. Hungry for more. That day that Elijah ascended, 50 men watched from afar as one man walked over and he picked up that mantle. They said, my God, the spirit that rested upon Elijah now rests on Elisha. I told you it's the first ascension directly mentioned in scripture. One man went up, one mantle came down. The second took place on the day of ascension. 40 days after Passover. 40 days after the cross. Well, you can imagine the roller coaster ride the disciples had been on. Their master, their Messiah, their Savior, their teacher. They watched him crucified, and for three days they were in extreme mourning. And then on the third day, they watched as the grave was cracked open, and suddenly he came back to life just as he said that he would. They had never seen anything like this before. It blew their minds and changed everything about them. And for the next 40 days, they spent time together as he taught them and he breathed into them the very life of Scripture. And then he brings them to a mountain and he says, today's the day I've got to go. And they're like, no, don't go. Don't leave us. Don't leave. This was life-changing. And he says, it was life-changing. But it's a good thing that I go. You see, because if I go then I'll send the promised one, the comforter, the teacher, the Holy Spirit to you. It's a good thing that I go. You see, I've told you about him. He's been with you, but he's about to be in you and upon you. And when he comes on you, you're going to receive power to be a witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the world. I'm sending you out to preach the gospel, to lay hands on the sick. They're going to recover. I'm sending you out to drive out devils. I am sending you out to raise the dead. I am sending you out to make disciples everywhere that you go. But before you go, wait. So the promise of the Holy Spirit comes on you. See, I'm going up, and when I go up, something's coming down. I'm going to ascend, and something's going to descend. Come on, you feel that? And on the Mount of Ascension, they watched as one man went up. They watched as God in the flesh went up. They watched as Jesus ascended to his seat on high. And as they stood there watching, the angels came and said, Oh, in the same matter he went, he's going to come, but go. And so they went from the Mount of Ascension. There were 500 people there that day. 500 received that word, wait. We're not sure what happens in the next 10 days. But somewhere along the way, that 500 dwindles to 120. I don't know, what was it like after 24 hours of waiting? 
that 50 people say, how long are we going to have to wait? How long is this going to take? I got stuff to do. I mean, come on, preacher, it's 1130. We're usually out by now. Gilgal's waiting for you right out those doors. Another day passes, a few more walk out the door. Three days pass. Boy, I can hear that one. It took him three days to rise from the dead. How much longer do we have to wait? A few more leave. Four days, five days, six days, seven days, eight days, nine days. More have, that, that 500's diminished in size. Diminished in size. Somewhere between the ninth and the tenth day, the 380th person walked out the door saying, this is, an, I, I got no more time to wait. I can't wait. And there were 120 that were there. Their mind was made up. They weren't going anywhere. 120 that literally meant it when they said, I want more. Someone's got to carry on this thing. Somebody's got to be marked by something. And I'll wait for another 10. I'll wait for another 20. I'll wait as long as it takes. But Lord, I need something on me. I told you about Brownsville. Why? Because they prayed for a year and a half for revival before it descended. Some people want to pray for revival for 15 minutes and then they think God's going to show up. Come on, who wants that more? Come on, stand to your feet. Listen, if Bethel's comfortable, there's no need to stand. And no condemnation. It's a good place. And I'm happy you come week after week and you keep coming. But there's some of us that realize that we were meant for more. And it's Pentecost Sunday. And we say, Lord, I want more. And when the day of Pentecost had fully come, 120 people were gathered in one place and in one accord. Their mind made up. They had waited for 10 days, praying and seeking the face of the Lord. And as the day of Pentecost came, they heard what sounded like a wind begin to fill the room. And they looked up and they saw 120 flames. There were 120 people. Everybody got a flame. I love this. In Elisha's day, one man could pick up one mantle. But in this day, it's a better time. Hello. Hello. Anybody who's hungry, anybody who's willing, anybody who says, Lord, here I am. Mark me with your spirit. He says, I've got a flame for you. Come on. Where's the burning one? Where's the burning one? The one that says, I don't have to wait for the invitation. I'm I'm not going to be held back. I want more on my life. Where's that son? Where's that daughter? I saw that on you already. Lift up your hands because I tell you there's more. There's more. I need some help. I need some ushers.